0: Father, again, we just come to your word, and uh, Lord, you teach us so many things through your word. And uh, today, as we look at these two notorious characters, Esau and Jacob, Lord, we can learn so much by examining the way you worked in their lives and the way they reacted to how you worked in their lives. Lord, they made lots of mistakes and they had lots of failures. And Lord, we want to uh, be able to look at these men and learn from their failures especially when it comes to uh, their relationship with you, uh, with with uh, their uh, relationship that uh, leads to eternity, Lord. Uh, Esau didn't make it, and Jacob did, and we need to examine them very carefully and examine our own lives in lieu of how uh, they reacted to your grace and how uh, we should act, Lord. And so I just ask today that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you... Teach us the great lessons that we have here, and uh, Lord, that we uh, take this walk that we have with you very seriously. We don't end up like Esau, Lord, a son of perdition. Uh, uh, as you said of Esau, Lord, he's one you hated, and Jacob you loved. We, we certainly don't want those words to be spoken over us, Lord, that you you hated us. So we just ask today that, that uh, Lord, you guide us through this study, and that we are... Uh, convicted of just how we should live our lives in lieu of what you show us here in this text father just again we just ask you to bless us by the power of your spirit we ask that in christ's name amen you know there are several books out there that you can read on how to be to live a successful life Uh, our president wrote one uh the art of the deal Uh, steve jobs had one before he wrote before he died a hundred success lessons uh, some of you might have read uh, Dale Carney's, Carnegie's book, uh, "The Art uh, How to Influence Friends and uh, no, How to Make How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies." And and uh, uh, I personally don't read those kind of books because what I've learned in my years on this earth is I can learn a lot more by observing failures than I can observe by then I can learn by observing successes. Uh, in fact, every person who's ever been successful, who's lived on this earth, has been successful because they learn from their failures and from the failures of others. And no doubt, that's one of the reasons in the Bible we get these characters uh, and we, we, we look at these characters and God shows us, Really, I think he focuses sometimes more on their failures than he does on their successes so that we can learn from their failures. And that's certainly the case with the two main characters that we're going to be looking at in our text today, uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau is a man who never learned from his failures. Jacob eventually would learn from his failures. So we're going to be looking at both of these characters today. We're going to look finish looking up looking at esau and then we're going to begin to look at uh what happened the rest of uh jacob's life and and how it took god a long long time to 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 do it but he did make turn jacob into israel a a spiritual man and again esau uh became a son of perdition so so there's a lot to learn from both of them so we want to look at that but let's let's set the setting first where we left off last time if you remember isaac had by his by the holy spirit he had blessed Jacob and given Jacob the birthright, and he had all but cursed Esau. I mean, if you look in your text, go go to Genesis chapter twenty-seven and look at that. Just look at verse number forty when I when Isaac was was uh, speaking uh, by the Spirit over his son Esau. Listen to what he says. Just in that first part of verse forty, he says, "By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother." Now, I don't think there was any worse of a word that Esau could have heard than the fact that he was going to have to serve his brother because he despised his brother and he didn't want his brother lording over him but that's the prophecy that was given to him by his father Isaac and Isaac spoke those words by the power of the spirit and so Esau is upset and he gets mad and so he plots to kill his brother uh, Jacob and he tells everybody about his plot. He tells his friends about his plot. He tells his wives about his plot. And word gets back to Rebekah that Esau is going to kill Jacob. And so she decides she's going to devise a plan to get Jacob out of there. So Jacob's 75 years old, so she says it's about time for him to get a wife. And so uh, she tells Isaac, we need to send Jacob away to the land of uh, my fathers, so that uh, he can find a a wife that's not one of these pagan Canaanites, and 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 Isaac agrees, and so uh, uh, she felt that that you know once he went made that long trip to get the wife, and then Jacob came back that that uh, Esau's anger would be abated and everything would be okay. So as we pick up in verse number one of twenty eight, uh, Isaac and uh, Rebekah are about to send Jacob away, and so Isaac calls. Jacob, in before he leaves, and look at verse number 28, verse number I mean, chapter 28, verse number 1. And then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Haram to the house of Bethel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's uh, brother. So, It's really strange to me that they waited till Jacob was 75 years old to try to find him a wife. It's really kind of surprising that he hadn't done what Esau had done and taken a wife from the Canaanites. But who's in control of all this? God's in control of all of this. Even though uh, Jacob isn't even saved at this point, God is in control of his life. You know... If you're a child of God, now you might not even be a child of God, know that you're a child of God yet, but if you're a child of God, uh, the Lord doesn't wait until you're saved to exercise His providence over your life. And that's a really good thing. Because I look back over my life uh, before I was saved, and I can look back and I can see the hand of God working in my life. He only let me go so far in my uh, depravity so far in my evil works that they didn't destroy me. Otherwise, they would have destroyed me and I never would have been saved. And so God has to exercise his providence in our lives long before we're saved. And that's what he's doing in, in Jacob's life, even though you can be sure that Jacob is not saved at this point. It's going to be a while before he gets saved. Uh, now, so We come to the next few verses, and what's going to happen here, the Spirit of God is going to come upon Isaac again, and he's going to speak a blessing over uh, uh, Jacob. And uh, uh, That's kind of strange to me because here's this guy who all he wanted to do was speak a blessing over Esau, and now he can't do anything but speak a blessing over Jacob. So we see real clearly who's in charge of all of this, and it's the Lord. So pick up with me, and let's read. Uh, the the next few verses. And listen to what the blessing that he speaks. He says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples, a nation of peoples, and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So, Every bit, if you read that prophecy and you study that prophecy, every bit of that prophecy was fulfilled to the T. And it's still being fulfilled to this very day in which we live. You know the story. Jacob's going to have 12 sons, and those 12 sons are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to make up that assembly of people. Their descendants are going to make up that assembly of people that are going to become the nation of Israel. And they're going to be strange They're still going to be strangers in the land of Canaan. But there's going to be a famine in the land. We're going to see the story of Joseph, and, and I'm not going to get into that today. But they're going to leave Israel, the land of their inheritance, and they're going to head down to Egypt, and they're going to stay in Egypt for almost 400 years. And then... Uh, Moses is going to be called by God. They're going to be in bondage at that point. Now, what's amazing to me is that they were in Egypt for 400 years, and they were never assimilated into that culture. They remained a nation. Now, why is that? You know why it is? It's because the Egyptians hated the Hebrews. Isn't that funny how all nations have hated the Israelites over the centuries? Why is that? Why does God allow that? That's to keep them as a separate people, as a, as a separate assembly of people that uh, are his, uh, the apple of his eye, his separated nation unto him. And so, anyway, they, they, Moses delivers them in the Exodus. They cross over into the, the wilderness, and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, and then Joshua li- delivers them into the promised land. And lo and behold, they receive their inheritance. Are they going to keep it? No, they're not going to keep it. Uh, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are going to be taken into captivity, captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then 70 years later, they're going to come back into that land because that land is still theirs. And then they're going to stay in that land kind of on and off uh, for several centuries until the Romans drive them out of there in 70 A.D. And then they're scattered all over the earth. I mean, you go just about anywhere in the world and you can find Jews that were scattered uh, during that uh, persecution by, by, by the Roman general Titus, and they were, they were driven out of the land. And, and they still kept their identity, because again, you watch the Jews, and wherever they go, they're pretty much a hated people. And so uh, they, they kept their culture, and they kept their identity, and then back in 1948, lo and behold, they went back into that land, and they're there this very day. Now, you can't tell me that that's not a miracle. You can't tell me that, that God doesn't see that land as belonging to them because God has kept them together even though they've been scattered all over the world, and now he's bringing them together back into that land. Now, one day, they might, that land might even be taken away from them again by the Antichrist. You know, it depends on how you interpret Uh, End time prophecy, but but it very well might be taken away from them. But they're still going to get it back at the end of the great tribulation. It's going to be their land, and it's going to be their land forever. And that's and that prophecy, like I say, is being fulfilled before our very eyes right now. And that is an amazing prophecy. You look at this prophecy that Isaac gave to, to to Jacob thousands of years ago, and it is being fulfilled this very day. And I'll tell you why it's fulfilled because God. Cannot lie. And the covenant that God made with Israel is an everlasting covenant. Let me just read you. And I've read this passage several times whenever we hit a, a passage like this, but let me read you, read to you from Psalms 105. Listen to what, he, what the Lord says. He says, The covenant which I made uh, with Abraham and to Isaac and confirmed to Jacob for a statue. That's exactly what we're looking at today. It's being confirmed to Jacob for a statue. He says, To Israel is an everlasting covenant saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. Listen to me. There is no such thing in the Bible as replacement theology. Now, there's a thing called replacement theology, but you can't find it in the Bible. You're going to have to twist and turn in your exegesis in order to say that... that. Uh, Israel has lost their right to that land. They have not lost that, their right to their la- that land. They, would never lose their, they will never lose that, their right to that land, or otherwise God is a liar. If God can lie to them, he can lie to us, but God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie, and so they're going to live in that land. Eventually, they're going to live in that land forever. It is their land. It's an everlasting covenant. Now, I believe that there's a spiritual Israel. But I don't, and we're the spiritual Israel, we're the church, but we don't replace the literal nation of Israel. And so, whenever you hear anybody teaching that, get as far away from them as you possibly can, because I can tell you that that kind of theology uh, enters into all of the, their interpretation. It's a paradigm they use to interpret the whole Bible, and and, you, and you're going to have a big mess when you start messing with the Bible like that. All right, now let's get back to the text here and read verse number five. It says, "So Isaac sent Jacob away." And he went to Padam Aram, to, to Laban, the son of Bethiel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. So Jacob leaves Canaan. And, and uh, uh, he, makes, he embarks on this long journey. Actually, it's like 500 miles that he's got to make. And he pretty much leaves with a shirt on his back. I mean, they, obviously, they didn't send servants with him. We're going to see that in the next chapter. Uh, he pretty much was all on his own. I mean, I, he probably, they gave him a camel and plenty of supplies and plenty of money. But this was Jacob. I mean, this was Jacob that was going on this trip. I mean, Jacob was a mama's boy. The greatest adventure Jacob had ever been on his life up until this point was to, to figure out the next recipe for dinner. I mean, that was his greatest adventure. And now here he is, and, and uh, he's in the wilderness all along, and he's running for his life. And he doesn't have a chance to make it. It's really kind of surprising to me that Isaac sent him out uh, on his own to go find a wife. Because remember, Abraham wouldn't send Isaac out on his own to, to to find a wife because he felt that Isaac would go into the land and he wouldn't come back. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Jacob. He's going to get over... over over in that land, he's going to be there for 20 years, and he's not going to get back until, until uh, shortly before Isaac dies, and he's not going to ever see his mother again. So it's really surprising that they even did this. But uh, here he is, and uh, he's, he's, he's he's out of he's left, and meanwhile back at the ranch, o Esau is licking his chops. I mean, he's thinking, hey, my brother's gone. He's going to be gone a long time. Uh, maybe I can do something to get that birthright back and so look at what happens next picking up in verse number six it says Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badam Haram to take himself a wife from there and that he blessed him and 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 that as he blessed him he gave him a charge saying you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan now you gotta know what Esau's thinking at this point, because he's taken two wives from the daughters of Canaan. He's thinking, You know what, I don't think mom and dad are really pleased with the fact that I took these two Hittite wives. And and so uh, and and he also noticed that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padam Haram. And and Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau's watching everything that's going on here, uh, and he sees Jacob get the spiritual blessing. But that doesn't faze him at all, because he doesn't care a bit about the spiritual blessing. But what he's thinking is here that now maybe Jacob is gone. I can convince my dad to give me back the material blessing. That's what he was after, that I'd lost, that double portion, that right to rule over the family. And he's thinking, I'm going to get that back. And he gets the hint here. He gets the hint that mom and dad don't like his wives. And so maybe I can fix that by getting another wife uh, from from our kin. So so look at what he he does in verse number 9. So Esau went to Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was dead at this point, so he actually went to the land of Ishmael. He went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebuchadnezzar, to be his wife in addition to the wife he already had. So he's saying, thinking to himself, you know, surely dad's going to be pleased with me now. I'm taking a wife from the family this time and not from from the Canaanites. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to get a wife that's even closer in kin to the wife that Jacob's going to get. Uh, So. So, hey, everybody's going to be really pleased with me. Maybe even the Lord will be pleased with me. But what does this show us? It shows us that Esau didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue about spiritual things. Uh, and, and, And the reason he didn't have a clue about spiritual things is that he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And he didn't want a relationship with the Lord. He wanted the things that the Lord could give but he really didn't want a relationship with the Lord. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the material blessings that went with the birthright. But those blessings were tied to a relationship with the Lord, a relationship with the Lord that comes by faith. You remember Abraham. Abraham was God's friend, we're told in the Bible. Abraham was a man of God. And he was a man of God because he was a man of faith. We're told in Genesis chapter 15, 6 that uh, after Abraham received the blessing, God spoke the blessing over him, he believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And and, uh, uh, if he hadn't believed, then he wouldn't have been righteous and he wouldn't have received the blessing. So his blessing came through his faith. Now, you can be pretty sure that Esau never did believe. Now, he, I think he believed there was a God out there. But he didn't believe in a way that, that he entered into a relationship with God. And, and, and we know that for sure because we're told in Malachi chapter 1, verse 13, in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, God says this. He says, Jacob, I have loved, and Esau, I have hated. Now, there you go with, read the commentaries on those two passages and they're kind of scary and a lot of people want to dodge the issue I mean that's pretty pretty strong words right there Jacob I have loved Esau I have hated now that's the God that's the Lord speaking and and that's kind of scary and and so some people kind of water that down and what they say is that's just another way of saying that that Jacob was chosen and Esau wasn't chosen that's, that's a way of putting it into human terms. I don't agree with that at all. Jacob was chosen, and Esau wasn't chosen, but the reason Jacob was chosen and Esau wasn't chosen is that God is omniscient, that he sees the future, that he knows all things, and he knew before Esau was born that Esau would never want a relationship with the Lord and that he would profane himself and trample underfoot the spiritual blessings that God was willing to offer him, if he would have received God through faith, if he would have re- believed in God through faith, and so uh, the Lord also knew that Esau wasn't going to wait on the Lord to have to to marry his wives, that he would take wives from the Canaanites, and what was that going to do to the blessing? That was going to Destroy the blessing because what would happen, the, the children of Esau would be raised among the Canaanites and, and they wouldn't be a separate people. They would be a profane and pagan people just like Esau was and just like the Canaanites were. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why we don't hear anything after we get this last genealogy of Esau. We don't hear anything about their children again other than the trouble that they make as the Edomites. But the Lord also knew, and this is what's really surprising to me at this point. If you were just reading this and you didn't know the rest of the story, I would look at this and say, well, what about Jacob? I mean, why would he love Jacob? Well, the Lord knew before the foundation of the world that Jacob one day would walk with him by faith and that he would become Israel, which means press with God, that he would walk with God, that he would have a relationship with God. And the Lord knew it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be really hard work. But one day God could bring Jacob to a point that he had faith and to a point that he truly loved the Lord. And because he loved the Lord, the Lord loved him. You know, the Lord knows every one of us in here. He knows how every one of us are going to turn out. We still have a choice, but he knows what choices we're going to make. He knows those people who are going to seek him by faith. Because eventually they're going to be brought to a place where they truly love the Lord. They love the Lord more than they love the blessing. All Esau could care about was the blessing. He didn't care about the Lord. All Jacob could care about at this point is the blessing. But one day he's going to truly care about the Lord. And God knows. He knows. He knows those of us that, that, that one day he can work in in such a way that we'll truly care about him. And then he begins to exercise his providence in our lives from the very moment that we're born. And that's why those of you who have have gotten born again and you look back at those times before you were born again, you can look back and you can say, man, I see where God worked in my life here and where he worked in my life here, where he worked in my life here, and wow, now look at how he works in my life. I see it every day. And and, and if you don't see God working in your life at all, maybe you need to question yourself because everybody still has a choice. History's yet to be made. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You still can get saved. But if you don't see God working in your life, maybe it's, because, maybe it's because you're seeking God for all the wrong reasons. Maybe you need to seek the Lord on his terms. And you seek him, you're going to find him. Last week, we saw that Jacob was the one who received the birthright. And Esau was rejected. And Esau was sorry that he was rejected, but it wasn't with godly sorrow. I mean, Esau wasn't even thinking about repenting here. He was just trying to fix things on his own. And, and so he, what godly sorrow does, it produces really what we can call godly repentance, where you truly are sorry for the way you've acted towards God, and you truly want to change that. You truly know that you're a rebel, and you don't want to be a rebel anymore. You want to submit to God. But, 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 but uh, God knows that's going to happen with Jacob, but, but it's, it's never going to happen with Esau. You know, I asked the question last week, what should Esau have done when he realized that he had lost the birthright? I mean, what he should have done would have been to, instead of weeping before his father and crying simply because he lost the material blessing, he should have wept before the Lord. Instead of wanting to kill his brother, he should have wanted to really die himself. You know, I mean, look at me. I've been rejected not just by my father, but more importantly, I've been rejected by God. going to tell you what, I don't think of a, there could be a worse place to be in your life than to be rejected by God. And so he should have wept before the Lord and he should have told the Lord, look, I'm sorry where I'm, where I'm at in life. I want to change that. And he should have asked for repentance, and he should have repented, and he should have turned to the Lord. And and I don't think the Lord would have given him the birthright at that point. I think he had lost it the day he sold it to, to Jacob, we're told he lost it, because he profaned the birthright. He profaned, profaned his birthright. But 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 at the very least, if he would have turned to the Lord, Scripture would read differently now. You know what Romans... Uh, 9 would say, and Malachi 1 would say, it would say, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have loved. Wouldn't that be great? And and, and what would that mean? That Esau would have gotten the greatest blessing any of us could get, and that would be eternal life. But the fact it says, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated, tells us that Jacob never did repent. All that he's doing right here in this part of this chapter is not repentance at all. It's just trying to fix the problem and get the blessing the material blessing that he wanted from the lord that he wanted from his father Isaac but but it it wasn't Jacob I mean Esau wasn't going to repent and it it, it didn't happen and it couldn't happen and let me tell you why it couldn't happen because Esau had given himself totally over to his flesh and 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 so uh he, he, oh, totally over to self. And so he wasn't going to change. I mean, just look in this text here, how he tries to fix this problem and get his blessing back. Again, he doesn't turn to the Lord. What does he do? He tries to fix it himself, so he takes a wife from the land of Ishmael, uh, a granddaughter of Abraham. And he's trying to be spiritual there. He's thinking, hey, look at me. Man, I'm marrying the granddaughter of Abraham. How spiritual can you get? I mean, Abraham's the father of faith. And I'm going to be married to his granddaughter. I mean, I'm going to be married to the the granddaughter of this great man of God, this friend of God. And my dad is going to think higher of me, and the Lord's going to think higher of me, and and they're going to bless me. I can just see it happening. They're going to bless me. I mean, there ain't no way that Jacob's going to be able to outdo that in the land of, uh, in, of Haran. He's not, going to, he's not going to be able to do that. He's going to marry Uncle Laban's, one of Uncle Laban's uh, descendants, one of his daughters. And so, so he's not going to be able to uh, outdo what I've done, and so maybe I'm going to get the blessing back. But you know what? He didn't get it. He just didn't get it, and he never was going to get it. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that no man can understand the things of the Spirit of God except by the Spirit of God. Esau's problem was he didn't have faith, and so he knew nothing about the Spirit of God. And if he had been given the Spirit of God, he would have trampled over the fact he had the Spirit of God in him, and so he was such a profane man. So if if he did have the Spirit of God, he would have known that Ishmael would have been the last place you would have want to look uh, to do something that was pleasing to the Lord. Because the name Ishmael is synonymous with self-effort. The name Ishmael is the antonym of faith. I mean, and it's impossible to please God without faith. You remember the story, and I'm not going to go into detail about it again, but you remember the story uh, about Ishmael, how Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting on God. They were supposed, God had told them that they were going to have a child, and they got tired of waiting on God, and instead of believing God, they took matters into their own hands. And Abraham uh, had relations with, with uh, Sarah's handmaid, and they had a child, and that child's name was Ishmael. But Ishmael was a work of the flesh. He was not a work of faith. That's exactly what we're told over in the book of Galatians, that Ishmael was a child of the bond servant or the bondwoman, and uh, Isaac was a child of the free. And so Isaac represents the children of faith who received the blessings of God, and Ishmael represents the children of self-effort, uh, of, of the flesh, of works, that never receive the blessings of God. Now, both of them are working. Uh, One is working on believing, and one is working on doing things themselves to fix things in their life. And Abraham and Sarah participated in that. Thank goodness Abraham's faith overcame that. But uh, I think we all do that at times. So here was Esau, and he's trying to get himself uh, out of this pit he had dug when he had taken these two Canaanite wives and his parents didn't like those wives. And he's thinking now, seeing they sent Jacob off to get a wife from Padan Haram, then, then uh, they don't like my wife. So I can fix this by getting a wife from Ishbel. And all he's doing is digging a deeper hole, a deeper pit by his works. Uh, what he was doing was uh, removing himself through what he was doing here. He was removing himself further and further away from the blessings of God because he was moving himself further and further away from faith, which meant he was moving himself further and further away from the Lord. Now, as we finish up here, that's a trap that we all can fall into if we aren't careful. A trap a lot of people in the so-called church have fallen into. A lot of people who were born again had fallen into. Same trap Abraham and Sarah fell into. Whenever we take matters into our own hands in order to try to speed up God's timetable or in order to try to earn blessings, the blessings that only come by grace, all we're going to do at the very least is make a big mess of things. But at worst, at, at at worst, what we're going to do like Esau, we're going to contribute to our own eternal doom. That's what Esau was doing here. He was, he was just digging the pit deeper. He was profaning himself even more. And, and that principle applies to all types of blessings. Really, all the blessings that God wants to give us. They come by grace. And we get that grace through what? Through faith, not of works. And that faith is a gift of God. That's where our blessings come from. And I, I think the most important blessing, it should be the most important blessing to all of us, is the blessing of salvation and sanctification. I mean, this idea that, 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 that we can be saved, that this gulf that is, is, exists between us and God because of our sin can be breached, that somehow we can have a relationship with God, that somehow we can live with God forever. In order for that to happen... We have to be made holy, and only God can make us holy. We can't make ourselves holy. And so, so whenever we try to take those matters into our own hands, it's not going to work. And I see people, and I don't, I'm not talking about anybody in this room today, but I see people very often, quite often, I'll see people who, who look upon, look at a Christian, a, a, a person who really loves the Lord a person who's really being blessed by the Lord in their life. And I'm not talking so much uh, materially here. I'm talking about spiritually. They look at them and they they, they maybe knew them in the past and they look at them and they say, look what the Lord has done in their life. And I want that. I want to be like that. And so what they do, they say to themselves, I'll say a sinner's prayer and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to act just like they act. I'm going to do what they do. They don't smoke. I'm not going to smoke anymore. They don't do drugs anymore. They gave up drugs, but, you know, when they got saved, I'm going to give up drugs too. Uh, they don't drink anymore. Uh, you know, I'm, maybe they drink a little. I'm, not, I'm a one up, I'm not going to drink any. And, 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 and uh, what they're doing, if they're not doing that by faith, by the power of the Spirit, they're producing Ishbills. They're trying to fix their life on their own. Those are nothing more than works of the flesh. Listen, the reason a real Christian exercises discipline and temperance, the reason they do isn't to be blessed. They do it because they're blessed with the Spirit of God. There is a big difference right there. That's why... Paul could say in the book of Romans, and he said also in Galatians, that by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Listen, we don't live righteously to be justified. We live righteously because we are justified. And we're justified through faith, not through our works. And the Esau's of the of this world just don't get that. And I, I, I try to I, I see people who are trying to be become Christians through their own efforts, and I want to grab them and say, "You can't. It's not going to work." Well, you, you mean I should drink and I should smoke and I should fool around and do all the things that Christians that Christians don't do? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you're but you can't change all of that in a way that's pleasing to God unless God changes that by the power of His Spirit. If God justifies you and God begins to sanctify you by His Spirit, and you can't do it. By the works of the law. And they just don't get that. And the reason they don't get that is because they have pride in themselves. That's one of the reasons. They have pride in their their ability to fix themselves. And the other reason that they don't ever get it is because they really don't care about the Lord. What they care about are the blessings that the Lord can give them. They want to have a nice life a nice, you know, that God gives to those who love him. They want to be blessed like, like, like Abraham was blessed. They want to be blessed like the, some of the Christians in this room are blessed. They want to be blessed like that. Or really, all the Christians in this room are blessed. They want to be like that. But our justification and our sanctification, which is our practical righteousness, it flows from our relationship with God. It doesn't come through our schemes and our self-effort. It it will never come that way. That's why Paul warns us in the book of Galatians. He says, you have become estranged from Christ. Hey, you're not saved, you're probably not going to get saved. What he's saying? You who try to be justified by circumcision, by your good works, by your Ishmaels. What he's saying there, you're just like Esau. You're trying to get the blessing without the blesser, and it's never gonna work. You know, I see Christians who 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 follow don't follow who follow in Esau's shoes in when it comes to their ministry or their service to God. When it comes to their jobs, when it comes to where they live. Uh, when it comes to a lot of the blessing that, that, that God wants to give us. And, and, and they look around and they see people who have been blessed by God and, and blessed in their service to God. And they say to themselves that, hey, I want to be like them. And so what they do, they say, okay, I want to be like them. And so,
1: uh,
0: hey, I don't know anybody who want to be a pastor, but let's say you want to be a pastor. And you say, well, I, you know, I, I, hey, I like what uh, George is doing. I want to do that too. And so I'm going to go off and I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to uh, get prepared to go into the pastorate and I'm going to uh, uh, do all I can do to make that happen. Well, you, you're missing the point. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works in ministry. That's not the way it works in any of the blessings that God wants to give us. Listen to what Paul says. He says in Romans chapter 12, chapter, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know what the first step in finding God's will for your life is? You put yourself on the altar. And what you do, you say, God, I want what you want for me in my life. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to serve you how you want me to serve you. You don't determine how you're going to serve the Lord. I, I I don't think you determine where you're going to live. I don't think you determine what car you're going to buy. I think you always, every day, this is something we do really constantly. We put ourselves on the altar and we say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do in my life this very day? And 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 he goes on and he says, and do not be conformed to this world. See, our problem is we're... We're, we're being conformed to this world instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, which we do through the Word, so that we may know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our life. See, that's the opposite of what Esau did. Esau didn't delight himself in the Lord. He, he, didn't, he didn't put himself on an altar and say, Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. He didn't renew his mind through the Word of God. Of course, they didn't have the Bible back then, but he wasn't... His mind was on Esau. His mind wasn't on the Lord. And so he was never going to find the will of the Lord. And no matter what he did to try to fix his situation, he was never going to be blessed by God. We're told in Psalms, a psalm we all love to read, in Psalms chapter 37, we're told to delight ourselves in the Lord and that he will give us the desires of our heart. We love that psalm. But it goes on and it says, In that psalm it says rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. Now that tells me if I delight in the Lord I'm going to get the desires of my heart. But I've got to wait on the Lord and I've got to be patient waiting for him to give me what he wants to give me. I can't take matters into my own hands. And see that's exactly what Esau didn't do. He didn't desire the Lord. And he was unwilling to rest and wait on the Lord and so... He missed the blessing. And I think that's the reason many of us aren't blessed as God would like to bless us. Because we're like Esau. I'm not saying you're not saved. We can be like Esau and be saved. But we delight a lot more in the things of this world than we delight in the Lord. And we don't love him enough or trust him enough. To wait on it. And and, you know. It's faith. And trust. And endurance. And long suffering. That really measure. Our love for the Lord. I mean all of us love the Lord. When we're getting everything we want. When we want it. But love says I'll I'll trust you. Love says I believe you. I believe your promises. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you, Lord, because I love you, Lord, and I know you love me. And and so what a lot of us end up doing, because we don't wait on the Lord, and we delight more in the things of this world than than we do in in the Lord, a lot of us end up going out and marrying Ishmael's daughters. Not literally. But we do go out and try to make our blessings happen through our own self-effort and we don't do anything but make a mess. Let me give you a a specific example that applies to our spiritual lives. I think the greatest blessing any of us can have as born-again believers is to be filled with the Spirit of God. That is the greatest blessing. If you don't want that I even wonder if you're you're born again. Because I, I, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you can face any situation in life with victory. You know that when you're filled with the Spirit of God, God's going to come through for you in his time. You you know that. And you have power to, to face life. And so so we want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I mean, all of us, if we're born again, want to be filled with the Spirit of God. But i got to tell you, And I I, I put myself in this category. Most of the time, we're not filled with the Spirit of God. Why is that? Why are we not filled with the Spirit of God? First of all, because we delight so much in this world. Look, like I said last week, I get it. We're material beings. We live in this world, and we, we, we like material things, and God blesses us with material things. But when those material things come between us and our relationship with God... There is something wrong with that. And that's happened in a lot of our lives. It's happened in my life. And there's some things that sometimes I catch myself delighting in a lot more than I do in the Lord. And I can't expect to be filled with the Spirit of God. God wants to not only fill us, he wants to baptize us, immerse us in his Spirit. He wants to fill us in such a way that hey, we're just full of joy and full of peace and, and, and we can walk in victory all the time. Few of us do. Instead, you know what I see Christians do? We try to drum up our spirituality. We try to fix it on our own. We're like the prophets of Baal up on Carmel. when We'll cut ourselves and jump and sing and do all sorts of stuff to try to get the Spirit of God to come down on our lives, and it just doesn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, and we see other people who are filled with the Spirit of God, you ever go in a room with people and you pray with them and they're all filled with the Spirit of God? You're not going to find many places where you're going to do that, but you ever do? You, even if you're not, you've got to act like you are. You're going to be embarrassed. But that's terrible that we sometimes have to act like we're filled with the Spirit of God. I mean, and I think some people have even deceived themselves into thinking they're spiritual when they're not spiritual. You know, Bob, the Bible's got a word for that kind of. Self-effort. What, what is it called? It's called hypocrisy. I mean, I've gone into churches where, where you go in and everybody's speaking in tongues, which is not biblical, by the way. It's supposed to be done in, in order. And I wonder how many people in there, and I'm not their judge, and I don't sit there and say this guy's not and this guy is and this guy isn't. You know, I don't do that. But, but I wonder in that group of people how many people are really filled with the Spirit. And how many of them are acting and imitating tongues that they're hearing from somebody else? And whenever I hear these churches where they have courses in teaching you how to speak in tongues, I say right away, you know, you're, you're, those are Ishmael's. You're marrying the daughter of Ishmael. That's not spirituality at all. And then sometimes I pray with people, and man, they, they I'm not going to name any names. Not in this church, it would never happen. But I have prayed with people before, and man, they sound so spiritual. They sound so spiritual. They sound like they're really on fire for the Lord. And then they go out, and they're no more spiritual than my cat is. And, 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 and that's hypocrisy. They're actors. They're hypocrites. Look, you know. You know when you're filled with the Spirit of God. You know when you're not filled with the Spirit of God. And I, and I think if most people in this room were honest th- this very moment, we would say we're not filled with the Spirit of God. So what should we do if we're not filled with the Spirit of God? Let me tell you what we should do. We should fall on our face and confess the fact that we are almost spiritually dead. That we are nothing but a flickering flame. You know, God takes a flickering flame and can turn it into a fire. And And... And we've got to repent. We've got to to come to the Lord with godly sorrow, and we've got to repent. And we've got to, how do we repent? We begin to delight ourselves in the Lord instead of delighting ourselves in the things of this world. And we beg the Lord to fill us with His Holy Spirit. Lord, please, we can't fill ourselves. We can't be spiritual through our own self-efforts. We need your help. And then we wait on Him until He fills us. And I guarantee if we follow that process, he will fill us in his time and we will be blessed with the greatest blessing he has to give us. So, as we finish up here, let's sum up what we can learn from Esau's mistake. And this is it. Our walk with God and our blessings from God are all of grace. They're grace. And if, 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 like Esau, we're determined to reject that grace and take matters in our own hands, then we're not going to be blessed. And I'll tell you what, if we're really like Esau, we're going to be doomed. You know, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at this guy, Jacob. You talk about a guy that made mistakes. Jacob made more mistakes than then, uh, Esau made. I was thinking there because I, I, I named, we named uh, Nathan, his middle name is Jacob. And I didn't want to give him the name George, but I wanted to name him after me. And so we gave him the name Jacob because Jacob is the character in the Bible that most reminds me of me. Uh, a guy who made a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes throughout his life. But at one point, God redeemed me and covered those mistakes with his blood and brought me into his kingdom as a child of God and gave me his spirit. And I might not be filled with the spirit all the time, but I know I'm not Esau. So the main lesson we're going to learn from Jacob is that we are helpless without the Lord. And we need His grace, but the good news is He's going to give us His grace if we come to Him through faith and we wait on Him. You're going to get His grace and you're going to get His blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for all that You teach us. and Lord, there's so many lessons that we can learn from our own failures and from looking at the failures of these people in the Bible who, Lord, You work through in just a wonderful way. Lord, help us to be, not be like Esau. Lord, help us to be like Jacob after he became Israel. Lord, and that only comes through grace. It only comes through our willingness to meet you on your terms. And we meet you on your terms through looking at the cross and uh, being reminded of the fact that Christ shed his blood and, his body was broken for our sin. Lord, that's what we're here to remember today as we take this communion. We just, we just thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that that only through faith that, that uh, we can have the blessings that you have for us. Lord, we want to know you. We want to be uh, part of your kingdom, but most of all, Lord, we want a relationship with you, a true relationship with you, one that only comes by faith. Lord, I ask you to bless us today and bless this communion and we, we thank you for your goodness to us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. some of us have made more mistakes than they made but what's the greatest lesson lesson that we should learn from our mistakes the greatest lesson we should learn from our mistakes is that no matter how hard we try we can't fix our fallen nature we just can't do it that left to us we would forever miss the mark. There would be forever a gulf between us and a holy God. But we come here today to remember the fact that Jesus' body was broken and His blood was shed so that we could have His righteousness. There's no way we can have His righteousness without the cross. No way. And because we have that righteousness, that gulf that separates us from the Lord has been breached. And we've been put into position to be blessed by God both now and forever. Paul says, For I receive from the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes y'all want to stand and we'll close in a song